Hallelujah. I am not alone. Amen. Those, those words, they, they hit home for me. They hit home for a lot of us. I'm going to be reading today from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you guys can stand for the reading of the word. And uh, when you're there, go ahead and say so. Wait just a little bit. Cool. I'm going to go ahead and start. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with, his, with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Father, thank you for who you are, for remaining faithful in the past and the present and forever in the future. Father, thank you for bringing your body together. Father, remind us that this time of the year above all else is about your son, Christ. Remind us, Father, of what you've done for us in our lives. Father, thank you for providing a way. And Father, thank you for allowing us to access your wisdom. Father, thank you for allowing us to have a relationship with you. Thank you for all that you do. I ask that you bless the church and that you always be with us. I pray these things in your son's great name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so this week for Advent, we are talking about the gift of wisdom. So there are these um, Advent uh, booklets. It's something you can follow on each day. It's actually really cool. There's it, the questions that you asked. It's, it's a really great workbook. I've had fun with it, um, and it's, it's, it's really eye-opening. 
Um, so John, if you guys don't have one, John Casanova will be passing around. You can just raise your hand and he will get that to you. Um, so we're talking about uh, the gift of wisdom today. And um, let me just say, like when I was asked to do this, the first thing that came through my head was, really? Like me? I'm like the young buck in the room. Like you're going to ask the, the punk with almost no experience to come up here and, 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 and talk about wisdom? Um, but as, we'll, as we dive in today, you guys will realize that wisdom goes so much further than just experience and, and knowledge. And just to sort of preface what's going on here, I mean, the birth of Jesus was such an astronomical event. I mean, the entire universe came together for one specific moment when God clothed himself in flesh, came down as his son humbled himself. I mean, to this day, people try and, and, and tell us exactly how these stars aligned, whether it was a comet, whether it was an alignment of planets, but all can agree. And even those who aren't Christians who look at this event can all agree that this moment, no matter how you look at it, there was an alignment of the universe of stars that was uncomparable to what can be seen in the past, no matter how you simulate it. All for the king. So my big idea that I want you guys to take away from all of this as we start going through all this is this. If we live humbly, worship truly, and rejoice always in the name of Christ, we will experience the gift of wisdom that God has abundantly provided. I'll say it one more time because it's a little long. If we live humbly, worship truly, and rejoice always in the name of Christ, we will experience the gift of wisdom which God has abundantly provided. Wisdom is a, is a, is a funny thing sometimes, right? And, and, and we like to get very, very philosophical with wisdom. A lot of people, you know, they say you have to have so many credentials or you have to be able to humble yourself and say you know nothing to say you know it all. And wisdom seems to be this weird, mysterious kind of touchy topic where it's, it's, it's almost like, a, you know, you can apply it whenever you want. It's like, if you're, if you're smart and you just, you have a little bit more, you sprinkle, you just sprinkle a little wisdom on there. That's what it is, right? It, it's, it's tough to sort of define wisdom outside of the Bible. I mean, and, and through the ages, the, the definition of wisdom has changed, not in the Bible, of course, but the way society would define it. So, we tend to define wisdom as knowledge and practice, backed by experience and good judgment. But in ancient philosophy, wisdom is interpreted as knowing what you don't know. Ancient philosophers stressed that if you don't first recognize your own ignorance, you can't begin to be wise. But wisdom must be more than negative knowledge or knowledge in action. In Proverbs 1, 20 through 22, it says, wisdom cries aloud in the street, 
In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? Wisdom is generous, generously available and cries out to us. Yet only few are ever considered to be wise. How can this be? How can something so abundant be so unconventional? And, and looking at all this, I realize something. That wisdom can't really be taught by conventional means. And to sort of put this into perspective, it's similar to how the children of famous athletes and professionals don't have the same success in the field that, um, that their parents did and are ultimately less remembered. The main difference being not that their talents and skills are less, but their ability to use them to interpret and predict situational outcomes just don't compare. In our common English language, we have a phrase for this. We call these people gifted. They can be gifted artists, gifted athletes, gifted scientists, gifted doctors, and so on. Gifted people have access, sometimes less access, to the same knowledge as those around them, but their interpretation, application, and prediction of what its impact is, is what sets them apart. Wisdom follows this same example. It's a gift. It is made available to us and is waiting for us to accept it and allow it to set us apart from just knowing but living. Wisdom is, uh, can be a funny thing sometimes, but what I've noticed, and I'll, I'll be touching on all of these things, but wisdom is always found <clears throat> in rejoicing and worshiping and in humility. My first point for you guys today is this. Wisdom anticipates and acts on the word of God. And when I say anticipate, I'm not saying just sitting there and waiting. When we look at the first, at the first two verses in uh, Matthew chapter 2, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now we're going to talk about the wise men for a little bit, and we really don't have a good grasp on who these wise men were. And I'm, I'm not going to go into different debates of what they, who they were, who they could be, but just know that these wise men are coming from the east. And what's important to note is that they're read up, right? They have access to the prophecies, the same prophecies that the Jews do. And these guys were searching the prophecies of the Jews. And when this astronomical event showed up in the sky there was no doubt in their minds that the king of the Jews was among them. This wasn't the Jews that figured this out, right? It was the wise men from the east. They were the ones paying attention. Why? Because they were waiting in anticipation. When we are anticipating we're not just sitting there waiting for God to move. We are seeking him. 
We are reading his scriptures. We are praying. We are having communion with him. And when he does move, we're ready and we're excited and there's no hesitation. Right after they saw this star, they went on a long journey. I don't know how long it took them to prepare, but they saw this star and they said, we got to go. Get everybody together. We're going on the journey to see the king of the Jews. I mean, for crying out loud, it's not even their own king, and they're going to go see the king of the Jews. And one other thing that's interesting to note, this is what they say. Where is he who has been born king? Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you look anywhere in history, no one has ever been born king except for Jesus. You're born a prince. And you got to go through the ranks. You got to work your butt off to make sure that you'll be chosen to be king. Or if you're lucky enough, all your brothers died and you were chosen to be the, the heir, right? But either way, you're born a prince. But these wise men knew something different. They realized this man was born king, he was born royal. Yet, the Jews don't respond the same way. This brings me to my second point. Knowledge provides no foundation for life on its own. Knowledge all by itself, really, in, 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 in all honesty, and I, I can tell you coming from an area of a PhD and having science, knowledge by itself is like completely useless. And in the field of science, I'm not going to get super, you know, low level with that stuff, but in the field of science, you can have all the textbooks, you can know all the equations, you can know all that, but if you can't get data and interpret it and actually make something out of it that can impact the community, what good is it? It's just an equation, right? It's just physics. It may govern everything that we do, but without understanding it, you can't really build anything. You can't really invent anything. Right? And this is why a lot of people tend to lean towards that wisdom is just knowledge and action. And yes, that, that is, there is some truth to that, but it's not everything. Right? So in verse 3, we see that Herod the king heard this, and he was troubled. And this is crazy. And we were talking about it earlier when they were here lighting the candles, right? They said that each one of these, some people look at them as, as years, as a thousand years. And there's 4,000 years, 4,000 years we've been waiting for the Savior, right? King Herod hears this, he's troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. I mean, you're telling me the people who have been waiting for their Savior for 4,000 years, even if it wasn't them, some wise men came and said, hey, we believe the king of the Jews is among us. And they were scared. And it doesn't make any sense. I mean, at this point in time, the Jews are pretty much just like the annoyance of all society, right? They used to be up here. They used to rule everything. And now they're conquered. And now everyone is like, we just got to keep these people happy so they can keep paying taxes, right? And King Herod, I mean, he's the type of guy where like if, you, if he thinks you're about to backstab him, he will make sure you die. You would think the Jews want to be liberated from all of this. You'd think any, any news about a Savior would be awesome news. Yet they're scared about it. 
And this, it gets even crazier. When Herod gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people, so Herod went, he got the, the, the smartest of the Jews, the ones that know the, the books the best, and he inquired from them where the Christ was to be born. And they said this, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew where Christ was supposed to be. An insane astronomical event happens, and the wise men from the east pick up on it, and the Jews are completely lost. The ones that you would expect to be excited about it aren't. And on top of that, they knew exactly where Christ was to be. I mean, to be honest, if, if, if you had this prophecy, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I mean, I would have posted up like a bunch of people in Bethlehem and say, hey, when you see the Savior, you know, announce it to everybody. It was, it was in their face. And it's not like they missed it. They, they saw it. And they didn't even go check it out. Like, you would think, like, even if you doubted them, even if you thought, like, ah, oh, no, bro, that's just a comment floating around. Like, you would think, at least let me go, like, let's send, like, you know, John to go check it out with them, right? And then, yo, John, just make sure it's real. And if it's real, come back and let us know. Like, they didn't even do that. They just sent them off on their own. <laughs> we do the same thing. We come to church, we listen to great sermons, we go to retreats, we fellowship, we hang out with the men, we hang out with the women of the church, we learn a lot, we go to the Bible studies, we go to Rooted, we get all prayed up. But are we really seeking or are we just here absorbing knowledge? Because the Jews knew exactly where Christ was to be. And they didn't go. They had the knowledge. They didn't go. Sometimes it's the same way. Right? These wise men, they saw the star, they immediately moved out. Sometimes God says something so clear in our lives, whether it be through his word, through a brother or a sister, doesn't matter. It's clear. And yet we doubt. And yet we question. And sometimes we completely ignore. We have the knowledge, church. We have no excuses. God has withheld nothing from us. Knowledge on its own only serves to satisfy our own initiative. If we look at John chapter 5, I'm going to paraphrase the whole chapter. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Um, but at the beginning of John chapter 5, we see Jesus at uh, the pool of Beth Bethesda. And when he's there, there's a man who's not able to get into the pool to become healed. And he can never get someone to get him in on time. And so Jesus comes. It's the Sabbath day says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And he does. Years and years and years 
being sick. In an instant, he picks up his mat and he walks. And as he starts walking, he comes across a couple of Pharisees and they say, what are you doing with your mat walking? The Sabbath day police here. And he was like, I don't know. The, the man over there healed me and he said, pick up my mat and walk. So that's what I'm doing. So they ask, okay, where is this man? He looks back. There's a crowd of people. Can't really tell what's going on. And says, I don't know. I'm sorry. But he was over there somewhere. Right? Fast forward a little bit. He's in the synagogue and Jesus comes and says, you know, how you doing? How you feel? Right? Just to check up on him. And this man doesn't even say hi, doesn't say anything. He immediately walks towards the Pharisees, the Sabbath day police, and says, that was the man. I think that's crazy. I mean, I, I, don't know, I, I do think that's crazy, but you know, there's, been some, there's been some times, and I, I've done this, we're all guilty of this, where someone like, just helped you out, and you're like, oh, you were so focused on whatever it is that you were focused on in life, and someone comes in, helps you out, because you're so hyper-focused on you and what you know, that you're totally ungrateful. And mind you, this man is also scared because these Pharisees have a lot of power over him. Right? They can, he just got healed, but he can also just get healed and immediately be ostracized from the community. So he's playing both cards here. So he points out Jesus, and they come up to Jesus, and they say, what are you doing healing on the Sabbath? And on top of that, Jesus goes, my father and I are always at work. So he just said two things. One, he just said, by the way, I'm the Christ. And two, he's like, my father was working as well. And at that point, they immediately began to criticize Jesus for what he's done. And then Jesus comes and says this at the end of John chapter 5. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another? And do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I come from a field of, uh, where publication is law, right? So in science... If it's not on paper, and if people don't agree with it, multiple people haven't agreed with it, then it's not true, right? Even if it is true, it's not true till it's on paper. My first paper that I ever published, it took me about eight months to get it out. Because when, I, when you write a paper, you, you, know, you go do two years of studying, of gathering data and all this stuff, and then you go put it in a paper, and you send it out there to try and get it in a journal, and then you have a panel of reviewers, Right? And these reviewers, they're not just any Joe Schmoes. These are people who have been in this field for a long time. 
I mean, these are the wise old heads who started it all. And they're there to review your work. And I thought I had a great idea. I went, I did my research, I figured out exactly what was missing. I'm pretty sure I answered that question directly. And when I sent that out, oh man, was I torn apart. You didn't look at this, you didn't see this, you, don't, you didn't consider this. Didn't you realize that this equation is out there and you could have used this? I don't think your work is novel at all. I think we could have answered this another way. I'm like, geez, man, I just, I'm just trying to help the community here. <laughs> like, I like, I, I, I'm, I'm not about, you know, getting my name out there and being the most famous guy. I mean, I was trying to answer a tiny question that I didn't even think anybody cared about, to be honest. And then I just reviewed and reviewed and reviewed, and I rebuttaled and I rebuttaled, and I changed the paper. And next thing you know, when this fine thing finally gets accepted, it finally gets published, I'm super excited. I read my first draft, and I read the one that got published, and they are two completely different papers. Not even the same. And then I realized what I was doing. I was trying to satisfy the reviewers because I wanted this work to get out there. And I eventually ended up publishing a paper that was the reviewer's idea of my data and not my idea of my own data that I took with these two hands. We do the same thing with Christianity. We do the same thing with the Bible. We know so much. And then something happens in our life and we use all of our experience, all of our wisdom to say what was right and what was wrong. And we sort of like turn the scriptures to make that work out. Or we go to church on Sunday, Bishop preaches, and he says like, you know, points one and two, which you're like, that's right, that proves my point. Then he says point three, and you're like, I didn't hear that. I mean, I, I, know, I, know, I know people that have just, they, they go to church and, and they, they hear a preaching and you ask them how it was and they're like, I didn't like the way I felt. I felt attacked. And I was like, oh, you mean you felt convicted? There's a big difference. But we can know a lot and we can use that to our benefit. But what ends up happening is if we stay there, it builds no foundation for what life looks like. My third point, the gift of wisdom is expressed in unexpected joy, meekness, and worship. Now, I haven't really brought home the topic of wisdom and what it looks like, and I want you guys to know that wisdom is not what you think. It is not some mystical knowledge that only a few people hold. I mean, it says, like, we, like I was reading in Proverbs, that wisdom is out on the streets crying out. You can hear it. It's there. It's completely accessible. But we're being so simple. We're sticking with what we know. We're sticking with what works. Wisdom isn't just some application of knowledge. Wisdom, wisdom isn't just you recognizing your ignorance. Wisdom is complete and utter humility and worship of the Christ. So, when we read in Matthew, in verse 9, 
It reads, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the young child and his mother, they fell down and worshipped him. It's amazing how as soon as they saw the star, the first thing they did was rejoice. God literally put a star in the sky. He put an event in the sky, a beacon that said, this is where you need to go. And they rejoiced. How many times has God clearly moved us and we didn't rejoice? That move was like a hard move. It was just like scraping on the floor type of move. And then all of a sudden you're there and you're like, all right, you know what? I got no choice. I'm going to walk this way. When God makes it clear, you should be rejoicing. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter if it looks like suffering. It doesn't matter if it looks like persecution. It doesn't even matter if it looks amazing, like you're going to be on the top of the world making all the friends that you've ever wanted to make. It doesn't say anything as to what their journey looked like once they started walking. We don't know if they got mugged. We don't know if they lost a few camels on the way because they got sick and then all of a sudden they had to go. We don't know what the journey looked like. That's not the point. The point was God pointed them in a direction and they, before they started walking, they were already rejoicing because they knew that they were not alone. And they knew where they were going was where God was calling them to be. And when they get there, they didn't hesitate. The minute they laid eyes on the king, they fell down and worshiped. I mean, do we do that with all that we know, with all that we've learned? Do we sit on our throne test the king, and when we realize that, yes, this is the king, let me get off my throne, come sit here, Jesus. Do we do that, church? Or the minute we see the king in our lives, do we just fall down on our knees and worship him? Because we recognize who is before us. It's clear. It's abundant. If you've been waiting in anticipation and you've been read up, you're excited. If you've been spending time with Christ, when he comes before you, you have no choice but to worship and bow down. Right after they, it mentions that they worship, they presented gifts to him. Gold, signifying royalty, frankincense, signifying divinity, and myrrh, signifying death. Now, I'm not saying the, the wise men exactly knew what these gifts were going to mean and how we can interpret them today. It may have not, but it's, it's a wonderful picture to see. Jesus, born a king, not a prince, showered in royalty, divinity, and a picture of his sacrifice for us. Now, these gifts guarantee you Mary and Joseph were super excited to see some gold, frankincense, and myrrh because they ain't got no money. They were like, ooh, you're good. 
this baby is causing us some problems. No, it's Jesus. Didn't cause no problems. But they were excited. That was a blessing to them, right? And think about it, church. I mean, I've said it. I know people have said it. I don't really have any gifts to give. We are image bearers of Christ. You, as a Christian, as a child of God, we can't say we don't have gifts. He has a purpose for each and every single one of us. When he puts us on this journey, we rejoice. When we experience him, we fall down and we worship. And we put our gifts to work to bless and expand his kingdom. And it ends in verse 12 saying this, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And it's strange, right? We're, 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 we've been talking about, you know, what wisdom looks like this whole time. And at the end, you know, they're like warned, don't go back to Herod. So they go another way. Wisdom is really unconventional and sometimes not what you expected. I mean, in my opinion, if I was them, this is what I would have done. I would have just been like, I'm going to go because that's the quickest route, right? I'm just trying to get from point A to point B. I already went on this long journey. I had to deal with these Jews who don't know anything, and then I had to follow this star, and then I finally got here. I mean, you'd think these guys would be tired after all this walking, away from home, probably running out of food, and they just need to get home. Right? It's Christmas time, rice, beans, pasteles, like, it's a good time of the year to eat. Yo, I had some Filipino egg rolls that they do for Christmas. I'm telling you, these things are amazing. If you guys ever get the chance, their, egg, their Christmas egg rolls are awesome. Um, but I would have just gone from point A to point B and skipped Herod. Like, I would have just been like, all right, listen, I'm going to take the way I would always take, but just not talk to Herod. No, they went a completely different way. I don't know if it was longer. I don't know if it was shorter. I, I don't know what, what that journey was like. But wisdom asked them to go another way. In all their wisdom, they realized that they need to go another way. Why would they try the same journey? I mean, that's the first thing I would have done is just try the same thing. And we do that, right? Sometimes we try the same thing over and over and over because it worked once, right? You're trying to evangelize to somebody and you, you, you said something and it worked for them. And then you go to the next person, you think you got steps one, two, and three down and you try the, you know, steps one, two, and three with them and all of a sudden it didn't work. It's very unconventional when you look at it through the lens of flesh. But when you humble yourself and you're worshiping Christ and you're seeking him, what you end up realizing is that you're willing to obey exactly what God says. And it's so easy and it makes things so much easier and you're at peace with these things. I'm going to read as well from James 1, uh, 2 through 8. It reads, My brethren, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We should all know that because it was a memory verse. So, and if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally 
and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We didn't get to see this picture with the wise men because they didn't doubt and they didn't hesitate. Right? And sometimes when life hits us hard, the first thing we do is we seek Christ. We seek advice from the church. We seek advice from our elders. What ends up happening, once we have that advice, we start to doubt whether or not it's going to work. We start to doubt whether or not we should spend time seeking and spend some time putting our hands to the plow that we want to put it to, to make sure things come out good. We start doubting. And what ends up happening, you end up producing double-mindedness in yourself. And you end up battling with yourself as to what's right and what's wrong, and you're confused, and you don't know what you should do to make sure that this situation comes out right. Because you're walking in doubt. It causes confusion. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. That's a tough one. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality. That's also another tough one. And without hypocrisy. Wisdom isn't just knowledge and action. Wisdom is us being humble, seeking Christ. When you look at wisdom, you see the picture of the gospel. The ultimate love. God in all his wisdom set this plan in motion. He gave us a path to salvation. Wisdom is that picture. Wisdom is defined in knowing Christ. And without seeking him, you can't experience wisdom. Everything else is foolish or defined as earthly wisdom. And what ends up happening is you notice two things. You'll notice those who have knowledge and use it selflessly and those who have knowledge and use it selfishly. And then there's these weird gray areas which end up being selfish anyway. And I know and I, I hang out on a daily basis, with a daily basis with very, very successful people. Their name's out there. They have billion-dollar contracts. I mean, you name it. They got it good. 
And I've seen these people make the dumbest life decisions ever. And you come to the church where there are no billion-dollar contracts, where people are struggling just trying to figure out life, and yet sometimes there's just so much more wisdom there. We say wisdom is universal. And the only reason why that rings so true sometimes when we hear it is because wisdom reflects the sacrifice of Christ. And when you look at that sacrifice, it's completely selfless. It is done in humility. And above all, it shows complete impartiality of love. And when you act on that, when you're impartial, when you can love someone the same way, no matter what they do, and that is difficult, you begin to express wisdom. That's why wisdom isn't limited to just the old heads, right? That's why the youth can prove me wrong on a Wednesday every once in a while. <laughs> I got a thumbs up just there. I don't know, I don't know about that thumbs up. <laughs> but wisdom is not limited by the books that you read. And sometimes you can even lack experience, personal experience. But the experience that others have gone through, that you've been around, somehow let you be mature past your days. And it's for that reason that wisdom is universal because Christ paid that price. So, you can go read books. You can go Google whatever you want. You can read all the articles from CNN, Fox News, and be read up on what the latest and greatest um, information is on the coronavirus and how we're all going to be saved from it or we're all going to you know, be destroyed from it, whichever way you're, you know, whatever you're reading. You can be read up on, on, on multiple topics. But when you're seeking Christ, all of a sudden you realize that it's all just noise. And when you're listening to these things, whether it's scientific, whether it's uh, societal, it doesn't matter. The lens of truth cuts through it all and you realize that you have a beacon that you can rejoice in and follow. And when you're there, you get to worship. I want to leave you guys with uh, these two questions. Do you anticipate the work of God in your life? And again, when I say anticipate, I'm not talking about just waiting around. But are you seeking Christ? Are you seeking his word, his love? So when he does move, you're not scared. There's no fear. You're ready. There's no hesitation. There's no doubt. You're rejoicing in where you're about to go. My second question is this. Does the gift of wisdom cause you to worship before the king of kings? Or are you so puffed up on your knowledge that you're placing barriers before you can worship? Does true, honest, humble wisdom cause you to worship before the king of kings when he's before you? Father, 
thank you for always providing a way for us. Father, thank you for always reaching out to us. Sometimes we ignore you. Sometimes we shut you out. Yet you are still there crying out. Father, forgive us for our ignorance. Forgive us for puffing ourselves up and becoming prideful with our knowledge. Break us down, Father. Let us be humble children so that we we may seek you and that we may become sensitive to your word. Father, thank you for providing a way through your son. Thank you for bringing forth the king of kings. Pray all these things in your son's great name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were blessed, encouraged, and challenged to walk us your faith this week. If you would like to give to support our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. Thank you for the ways that you support us. God bless you. We hope that you can join us next Sunday. Have a wonderful day.